Well, praise God. Good morning and welcome to this broadcast coming to you from Lawrenceville, Georgia, our World Outreach Church for All Nations, where our vision is building strong families and serving global communities. We want to welcome all of you that's joining us this morning online from your various platforms and various places all around the world. Thank you so much for allowing us uh, to share some time with you. And today we're going to flow straight into the message that we began a couple of weeks ago on financial freedom. And so let me just give a very quick recap of what we've done so far, what we've learned so far uh, in these teachings. And I warned you at the beginning that this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And by that I mean I want you to take your time, take in each installment, because each one builds on the next, and I am trusting that the information that God is going to give us will cause you to not be ruled over by money, but that rather you will rule over money. I'm trusting that God, through the power of his word, will bring you and I to a place of prosperity according to God's definition. And so, so far, this is what we've learned. Number one, that God is the source and owner of all things, including us. Psalms 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And Psalms 50 verses 10 and 11, the fact that God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and every beast of the forest is his. So that's number one thing we learned. Number two, we learned that we must embrace a mindset of a steward. If you and I are to prosper by God's definition and in God's way, we have not only to learn that God is the source and owner of everything, number one. Number two, we must embrace a mindset of a steward. In other words, everything we have, everything we are, we are and we have, we must understand that we are stewards under God for its ownership. God owns it, we manage it. And last week, number three, we learned that we must be faithful in that which is least being faithful in that which is least, which is, according to Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, money. Money is the least in the economy of God. Now, if God cannot trust you with money, then you cannot be trusted with any other spiritual thing. Money is the lowest and most common denominator in the economy of God. And the reason is, like I said last week, because everybody needs money. Either you spend some money today or you will spend some money. Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. All of us have to interact and relate to money. And therefore, God says money is the most common denominator. And therefore, he wants you and I to be faithful in that which is least so that we can become uh, also faithful in that which is much. Now, Today, I want to move further in the message by addressing seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 12, verse 13, begin from verse 13 through 34 in the NLT. That's Luke chapter 12, beginning from verse 13, reading through verse 34 in the New Living Translation. Here we go. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, teacher. 
Please tell my brother to divide our father's state estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, God against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Let me just stop right there for one quick second. In other translations, that word greed is translated the word covetousness. So really, you re it will read, beware, God against every kind of covetousness. Amen, I'm going to address that in a minute. Okay? Life is not measured by how much you own. Let's read on. Then he said to them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my bounds and build bigger, bigger ones. Then I have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored up even for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to stop earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. All right, so let me just stop there for a moment and then we're going to pick up the passage later on. So first thing I want to address, Jesus in teaching in Luke chapter 12, talking about confessing God before man, teaching, teaching some other very sound principles, and out of this teaching, this young man cries out and says, Jesus, help me. Tell my brother to divide my inherit the inheritance with me. So, so the point was, this guy was not paying attention to anything Jesus was saying. His entire attention was totally, completely obsessed and focused on the worldly goods that potentially could become his through the inheritance. And so Jesus took that moment to address not only him, but even us today. And basically he says that we should be careful to guard against greed or covetousness. You know, I once heard a priest who said this. He said, I've had confession of every conceivable sin among men. This is this what this priest said. He said, he, said, he said, except for the sin of covetousness. I mean, you know, you just think about it for a moment. People feel bad about immorality. They feel bad about lying. They feel bad about swearing. But when was the last time you or I or anybody has heard anyone cry over the sin of covetousness? You know, March this year, we were traveling in Southeast Asia, and uh, the news of the pandemic broke as we were traveling, we were in Thailand. And I remember we had to cut our trip shop and return home. And then we got home, and uh, after having been gone for a couple of weeks, of course, we needed to go to the store. And to my dismay, and my wife, both of us, we go to the store, all the water shelves were emptied out, all the toilet papers were gone, all the paper napkins, gone. 
And we say, wait a minute, I mean, which universe is this? What's going on? Why are all the toilet papers gone? Why are all the paper napkins gone? Yes, we're in a pandemic. But are we going to be using the toilet any more now in the pandemic than we did before? Or are we going to be wiping them? I mean, so the idea here is when you hear covetousness, as Jesus addressed it, you may be out there right now saying, well, really, I'm not covetous, I'm not greedy. I just try to get what's, what's mine, on and on and on. But I want you to understand that what Jesus is addressing here is critical because if we don't understand how to grapple with this, we will never learn how to seek first the things of the kingdom of God. In order for me and you to learn to be faithful over that, over that which is little, in order to become ruler over that which is much, the issue of greed and covetousness is something that has to be addressed. So like I was saying, the stores, shelves were emptied out. Why? Because people for some reason began to think, number one, just themselves. Number two, living only for their immediate need. And number three, acting only in regards to their own self-interest. So people were leaving the stores with hordes and hordes and hordes of toilet paper and paper napkins. And their next door neighbor don't have one. And they couldn't care less, not think about it. Because at that moment, they were only thinking of, number one, self. So Jesus is saying, you and I must be God, but must be on God against greed and covetousness. Let me go to a scripture in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 in the NLT. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 in the NLT. Let me go there for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. There we go. So put to death the sinful, earthful things lurking within you. Notice what Jesus says. It's lurking. In other words, it's not obvious. It's there. It's hidden. It's lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. We all understand that. Impurity, lust, and evil desires. Then it goes on. Don't be greedy. Or, again, you can replace that word greedy with covetousness. Now look at what it says. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. None of us on the pandemic heat will say, you know what, I'm an idolater. I'm a covetous person. We will not think like that. But the demand that was placed upon us based on the societal news and the news we're hearing made the evil that's lurking within most of us to come out until we start hurting and taking things that we really already have enough. Covetousness simply means wanting more of what you already have enough of. That's what, covetous, that's what it means to be covetous or greedy. Wanting more of that which we already have enough of. And I cannot tell you, I'm sure many of you are aware of this, that African politicians are plagued with the sin of greed and covetousness. Hallelujah. So Jesus said this is a sin that all of us must be so careful of. Now, going back to the parable of Luke chapter 12, 
from verses 13 through 21. The guy's grant produced good, uh, good crop. He had plenty of harvest. And he said to himself, wow, look at this abundant harvest. What am I going to do? I'm going to tear down my, my bonds, build bigger ones, stop more goods, and tell myself, soul, be merry, drink, and be at ease. The tragedy of this parable lies not in what the man left behind, but the judgment that awaited him that he will enter heaven without any evidence of wise stewardship of what God had given him in the earth. Think about that for a moment. So his grant produced good. So your business is prospering. You have a great job. You have good income. Great bank account. On and on and on and on and on it goes. And this man's desire, from what Jesus is telling us, was not so much in how to use the resources under God to advance the flourishing of humanity. Rather, what he will use it for, for himself alone. Contrast that thinking with David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, who said very simply that because of the affection that he has for the house of his God, he was able to give $6 billion in one offering. What a contrast. Let's go to the scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The tragedy is not so much how much this man left behind. The tragedy is the fact that he was a bad steward of the resources that God had given him. Because all he was wrapped up thinking about is what he can do for himself alone. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. So let me just put some things out on the table before I go any further in this message. Let's just get something very, very clear. Two things I want to make very clear. Number one, Jesus is not averse to being rich or growing richer. Let's put that out there right now. The Bible is very clear. God says he delights in the prosperity of his servants. So Jesus is not averse, neither does he condemn being rich or even growing richer. In fact, we have many notable Bible characters that were very rich, including Abraham, who the Bible describes in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, has very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. I just want to make sure we understand that very, very clearly. We are not preaching a message of saying to espouse poverty. No, 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 no. Jesus delights in the prosperity of his service. That's number one. Number two. Jesus is not averse to you and I saving money. Proverbs 13 verse 22, the Bible says, 
God, by, the, by, by spirit, that the Bible says that, uh, uh, um, wow, Proverbs 13, 22, my mind just went blank just for a moment right there. <laughs> the Bible says very clearly that we should, uh, that, 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 okay, give it to me in the NKJV. Thank you. Thank you. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children and that the wealth of the wicked is later for the just. So clearly here, a good man lives an inheritance. You cannot live an inheritance if you have no savings. So those two things I want to make very, very clear. Number one, the fact that Jesus is not averse to you being rich or growing richer because he delights in the prosperity of his servants. And we have many Bible characters, including Abraham, including David, who are extremely wealthy. Amen? And then number two, we must understand that God is not saying that we should not have savings because the, because the Bible is very clear that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, having said that, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 18 in the NLT. If it's not averse to us being rich or growing richer, and if it's definitely not against me and you saving money, what are the issues that we must be concerned about? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. This is what the rich fool missed. Instead of trying to use his money to do good, he wanted to build a bigger barn and sit on a barn and be at ease, be merry, and say, so be at ease for years. This is the problem. The issue is not having money. The issue is, is money having you? So here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, it says, tell them to use their money to do good. The reason you and I prosper, the reason we have money, the reason God wants to empower us and prosper us is so that we can use money as tools to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Here in 1 Timothy 6.18, you see the true use, the true real use, godly use of money right there. We prosper. So you and I have the opportunity for good works. We prosper. So you and I have the opportunity to share, to be a blessing, to empower, to add value to others. So my question to you this morning is, are you adding any value to anybody other than yourself? Besides increasing your bank accounts, your 401k, your asset, your portfolio, who else is benefiting from your existence? Whew. <laughs> What good works are you engaged in? I want to thank God. We just had this uh, uh, event over the last couple of weeks with Jesus with Canaan, where we as a ministry, minister through our food pantry and that outreach to be a blessing to those who are in need around us. Many of you gave to that, for which I thank God, and I'm grateful. This is the correct use of money. Having been empowered by God so that we now have enough to share with those who are in need. 
The Bible says when we lend to the poor, we lend unto the Lord. So through our food pantry, week after week after week after week after week after week, we serve our community. That's what we're here for. When we are no longer relevant to the point where we are not able to empower and be a blessing and help those around us, we have no need to exist. Tell them to use their money to do good. Just this week, we've empowered our partners in Asia. Just this week, helping them to advance the frontiers of the kingdom of God. That's the correct use of money. And I'm asking you and I'm challenging you as a member of this church and those of you who join with our vision to serve global communities. The reason God wants to give you financial freedom is not so you can buy another car, another house. Those things are good. They are welcome. I'm not against them and God is not against them. But the point I'm making is, at the end of the day, you should be asking yourself, what good am I doing in the world? Because the Bible is so clear that you and I should enter into good works so that others may glorify our Father which is in heaven. Good works. Now, I hear some tiptoeing around me sometimes and some whispers in the, hallway, in the hallways where people will say, well, you know what? We have a need here. We have a need there. And therefore, Pastor, would you consider cutting your missions budget on and on and on? I'm just, I've heard this so many times. I'm simply going to say, wow, this guy, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't get it. Because if you get it, you will not say that. Rather than ask me or suggest to those around me to cut missions budget, have we ever considered perhaps you should increase your giving to meet the shortfall? Has that thought ever occurred to you? Whenever it comes to the things of God, we are always looking at how we're we going to cut tables and cut things short and just cut it short. Why do you want to cut God and don't cut yourself? Or better still, why don't you challenge yourself to increase in what you give to God? That's the correct thinking. Hallelujah. Jesus gave a scripture. Please go there with me. Matthew chapter 6 verse 22. Matthew chapter 6 verse 22. And you see, if you're not careful, some of this conversation is so petty, it's so, it sounds so noble. Oh, where well, a pastor or a pastor this, a pastor that. Maybe we should just, instead of giving 15% to mission, let's just make it 10%. It sounds so, so reasonable that if you're not careful, you do not understand that Satan is talking to you. Satan is talking to you when you think like that. Yes. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, start talking about going to the cross. Start talking about going to the cross. That's not, that's not a nice thing to say. What was Jesus' response? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because you recognize they were not speaking by the inspiration of God because they don't understand the plans of God. They are speaking by their emotion and their sentiments. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. My friend, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? Are you just seeing the shortages? In the commitments? 
Or are you seeing the potential of how God can cancel the shortage and bring an increase? The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. This is the problem. What are you seeing? How are you seeing things? When there's a need in the ministry, in the church, around you, with your neighbors, with your friends, when there's a need, what do you see? Do you see a shortage or you see an opportunity for something supernatural? If all you see is a shortage, your body, the, your eye is full of darkness. It's just that simple. But we must understand that every shortage or every, uh, uh, every need is an opportunity to see God released into the supernatural. What did Jesus do? When the multitudes were hungry in the wilderness and they had no food, was he scratching his head? His disciples, like some of my leaders, were saying, send him home. Send him home, there's not enough food, there's shortage. That was what they saw, that's what they're thinking. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is an opportunity for increase, an opportunity to see the hand of God. And that's the message I'm bringing to you right now. You must start seeing the needs around us, the shortages around us, as an opportunity for God to show himself for who he is. His name is Jehovah El Shaddai, the God of all sufficiency. His name is Jehovah Jireh, the God that sees a need and makes a provision for a need before you ever know the need would occur. But you will never experience it as long as you have the mindset of a stingy, skimpy, thinking, short, short, short all the time. And that's what God wants to deliver you from. He wants to deliver you from that mindset. My friend, let me tell you something. Let, 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 me, put, let me put this out there for you. We're talking about being faithful over that which is least. So we can be ruler over that which is much. How can you tell if you've been faithful? How? How can you tell if you have been faithful in that which is least? Very good question. Let me help you out with it. If in 2020, you've been given the same amount as you gave in 2019. If in 2019, you gave the same amount you gave in 2018. My friend, you have not been faithful. Period, end of story. If you have never been challenged in your thinking, that you need to up and increase in your giving, then of course you're not faithful. You're not faithful. Now, I go to the gym, and my trainer tells me, I cannot train lifting the same weight every day in my regimen. Okay, what do I mean by that? So if I'm lifting weights, if I'm lifting weights, Say I'm lifting 10 pounds. Well, that's good for this day, it's good for next day, it's good for the day after. But if I want to continue to grow and to be healthy, 
then I'm told I will need to change my weight. I need to increase from 10 pound weightlifting to maybe 15 or 20. Why is that? Because my muscles, after a while, get used to the 10 pounds, and after a while, they stop responding. So if I want the muscles to grow and to continue to be healthy, then I need to shock it back to life by doing something I've never done before. Increase the weight output. So I go from 10 to 15 or to 20. It's the same thing with giving. It's the same thing with faith. You cannot remain stagnant in what you did last year, doing it again this year, and think you are in faith. No. You need to challenge yourself. I tell my kids growing up, I tell them we sit down every year, at the end of each year, I say, this is how much we gave last year to God. And so next year, I'm trusting the force to do what? To do more than that. It's a challenge. If you don't challenge yourself, you find yourself at status quo. You remain stagnant. you where you were the, last, the, the year before, and therefore things don't happen for you, and you wonder why not. Folks, I'm telling you, this is not just a message to me. This is a lifestyle. To the glory of God, I live in the overflow of what I'm teaching you. Because it works. It works. Just a few weeks ago in August, I think this is August, I'm going to say this and I'm going to close this out. I got a phone call on a Monday night. And I was not able to take the phone call because of a prayer meeting. So I sent the individual a text. I said, you know what? I'm on a prayer call. If you call me back tomorrow morning, I'll talk with you. Now, let me give you the context. Earlier that day, my cousin, Smololaye, came to spend some time with me. And as we were speaking, I was asking him about his home in Maryland, Nigeria. I wanted to know if they had any more homes like that for sale, and if they were available. We were just talking. Very casual conversation. And during the course of that conversation, he mentioned to me how he bought the house, and how the guy that sold him the house had given away so many houses and so many lands. Now, I'm sitting there, and he's just taking all of this in. And when he said that, I said in my heart, I said to myself, I said, wow, that's, that's nice. It'd be nice to have somebody give you a line or give you a house. I never said it to him. And in fact, even up to this moment, I never had that conversation with Small. He doesn't know what I'm saying now. So that night, that phone call came. I didn't take it. And then the, the person called me back the next morning. And here is how the conversation went. They said to me, Pastor, that they've been, they have a brother who in Nigeria helps them with some business development. And that part of what they have done was that they buy a piece of land and sell it. And they went on to tell me the last one they bought and how much they sold it for. And that now, as of yesterday when they called me, they have the opportunity to buy another plot of land like that. And as they were preparing to buy it, that God spoke to them and said, don't just buy for yourself, buy for your pastor. Wow. 
Now, please, I want to make sure you understand what I'm trying to say. When they said that, I immediately remembered that just yesterday, less than 24 hours, I was speaking in my own heart about, wow, well, this would be nice for someone to give you a piece of land or give you a house. Not one day later, a phone call came and somebody said to me, go want them to give me one. So, I thanked them and I began to pray for this person. Now, I'm very careful not to mention the name because they begged me and told me, please, under no circumstance should you ever mention our name. This was just this August, a few months ago. So as I was praying for them, I went into an act of worship, just began to worship God and bless God and just thank him for his goodness, his faithfulness, and began to have that conversation back with God, how just this yesterday, God, I was wishing this, and now you are making this happen today in less than 24 hours. Now, when I finished praying, <laughs> hear this, this person I said to me, said, Pastor, when I called you, the intention was to buy and to give you one plot of land. But as you prayed, God impressed upon me not to just give you one, but to buy two. Just like that. This was August the 4th. My brother, my sister, by August 8th, I had the title deed in my name for two plots of land outside of Lagos, completed totally, completely, just like that. I have the documents in my hands as I speak. Now, did I ask God for it? Did I, did I pray and say, God, please, you have to make this happen? No. What I'm sharing with you, what I'm sharing, since two, three weeks ago, I'm telling you it's a natural overflow of what God does and seeks to do in your life. If you get to the place of reckless abandonment in your giving, style, giving lifestyle. Now, let, 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 as, a, as a caution, let me just say this. I don't want anyone want to hear this testimony and be looking for the same result I had. Wrong. Wrong. That would be the wrong thing to do. Don't listen to the testimony and trying to attain the same result I have. No. What you should be attaining to do is number one, make God your source and owner of everything. Number two, have a mindset of a steward. Number three, being faithful in that which is least. That's what you do. The increase is of God. He brings the increase as he pleases, not because you demand it. Oh, my time is up for today. But I just wanted to leave you with that to help you to begin to change your thinking. God is not trying to take something away from you. He wants to add to you. And the only way he adds to you is you recognize him as the source. You recognize you are a steward. And you become faithful over that which is least. And then, of course, you seek first his kingdom, his way of doing things, his feelings, his thoughts, his plans and purposes. You partner with God. You will never lack anything. I guarantee you. And so, Father, I want to thank you right now for this time. 
I bless your name, Lord Jesus, for your word that's come to us so powerfully. Lord, you've made it, you've, you've done it in my life. I'm not just sharing some letter or doctrine. This is a lifestyle. And so, Lord, I impart that same grace upon every man and woman that's hearing and listening to me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, that when they come to this place of trusting you because of who you are, they'll find that they will have more by accident than they've ever had on purpose because that's who you are. Thank you, Father. We we'll honor and we we'll bless you now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to many more weeks of uh, just very slowly, carefully unveiling the will of God. And I am confident that you are going to be in a different place to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen? Oh, praise God. Over to Pastor IBK. Amen.